0: Hello.
1: Ni hao. Bonjour. Hi. Buenos dias. Guten Tag. G'day. Welcome to the Hucita Podcast, a production of the Human Services Information Technology Association. Welcome to the Hucita Podcast. My name is Dr. Jimmy Young, and I'll be your host for this episode. How many of you wonder what being a data-driven organization actually involves? What does this term data-driven even mean? Well, in this episode of the podcast, I explore these questions and more with the help of Dr. Angela Klein and Dr. Stephanie Dollimore, as we center our conversation around their article, Understanding Data-Driven Organizational Culture, a Case Study of Family League of Baltimore, which was published in the Journal of Technology and Human Services in 2020. Dr. Angela Klein is an assistant professor in the Department of Public Policy and Administration at Westchester University, where she teaches in Westchester's MPA and DPA programs. Her research interests include topics in nonprofit management and accountability, social equity, and effective mentoring. Dr. Stephanie Dollimore is an assistant professor of public administration in the School of Civic Leadership, Business, and Social Change at Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. She teaches in American Sign Language and English for the Bilingual Master of Public Administration program for deaf, hard of hearing, and hearing students. Her research explores the intersection of social justice and organizational culture in the public sector. Doctors Dollamore and Klein are currently working on an edited volume titled, Organizational Culture and Social Equity, an Experiential Guide. This book focuses on how organizations can practice strategies that advance social equity through their policies, physical characteristics, leadership behavior, and socialization, among other characteristics. And it's going to be published by Routledge in late 2022. During the podcast, we talk about some organizational theory, the importance of feedback loops, and having good communication among staff within the organization, as well as with stakeholders in the community. I learned how data can help build trust with an organization because the lack of access to data can really be detrimental to building trust. But we also need to remember that the data collected needs to be good quality data. Data-driven, and just data in general, can be fairly ambiguous, and we need to step back to really understand what being data-driven actually means. I appreciated that my guests explained how we need to think about how data can be used to tell a story that resonates with humans, and how organizations need to be in tune with the bigger picture to use data in a better way. And there's also a great analogy about airplanes and institutional knowledge, so... Sit back or pick up that walking pace, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Hucita Podcast. All right. Well, thank you again to uh, Dr. Angela Klein and Dr. Stephanie Dollamore for being on the Hucita Podcast. I really appreciate you joining me today.
0: Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, glad to be here.
1: So we're talking about data-driven organizational culture, and specifically your, your paper that you published in the Journal of Technology and Human Services. I was hoping maybe we could just start out with a little bit of background, a little bit of context to the study, and maybe even defining a little bit of wh- about what it means to be data-driven. It's a great question.
0: Um, Angie, do you want to go first on this first question, and then I will follow up with you?
2: Sure, sure. So to provide some background to the study, both uh, Stephanie and I worked in the nonprofit sector before making the transition to academia. And we, as employees of nonprofit organizations, were increasingly seeing funders ask for sophisticated data that our small to medium-sized nonprofits really struggled to provide and this was a trend that we were seeing as employees and then once we became academics and were interested in researching these topics we decided to take a look at it through a case study in baltimore city and so we understand that funders have to be accountable for their resources But we're also interested in how the whole sector has made this shift to being quote unquote data driven and what that means. And it's especially interesting because this transition has occurred over a relatively short period of time where organizations have had to pivot their skills in order to collect, track, and then turn around these data Mm -hmm. to their funders.
0: Right. And so, um, Angie, that's that's the perfect way to describe like how we sort of Came into this work and what our um, inquiries were leading into this work, and so you know we kept hearing in, in these different organizations that we worked for the term data driven, and we just I think at one point looked at each other like, what does that really even mean? And has had anybody even had an explicit conversation with us in these professional capacities about what that means, um, and if so, what did that look like? If they didn't, and so we just started thinking about what does that look like in other organizations, and so. We looked at this one particular organization in Baltimore City as a case study to really dive into those questions about what does it look like when an organization collects data and organize it and use it? what what do they use it for? How does that get communicated to within people within their organization and people outside their organization? So we have um, like a, a clear research question in the paper, but it really comes from this much broader, discussion about what, is it, what does this even mean to be data driven um, and what needs to happen within the organization to make that possible. Um, and so in our paper in particular, we we were sort of deciding which theories apply best to the situation. And we looked at Scott's institutional theory. Um, and we feel like that's a really important tool for understanding how, how do organizations make sense of what they're doing. And so we add on to that framework with the fourth pillar talking about the importance of communication and then from there we use our case study to say what are the important lessons in one organization that's a very large organization and what they do uh, and being data driven so that was sort of the background of why we we did this direction
1: excellent yeah you know i i feel like this idea of uh, data-driven organizations has been creeping up for a number of years now And I I certainly, in some of my macro classes that I teach with students, I've kind of brought in just a little bit to kind of uh, whet the appetite, so to speak, and let them know, like, this is kind of some of where maybe the future of organizations are going or maybe need to be. And so I was wondering what maybe are uh, some of the kinds of technology that are required for organizations to become more data driven? What, What does that look like?
2: I guess I'll jump in and, you know, push that question back a little bit because I don't think from my perspective, I don't think that it is even starting with the technology. I think that technology Mm -hmm. is an important tool, but I think it fundamentally comes back to the communication that's involved among the staff, the people who are actually administering the programs and working with people in the communities and so I think the most important part is that there is a feedback loop to the communication or to the data, if we Mm -hmm. want to speak in those terms. And I think that that's a piece that is often missing in terms of organizations report data to their funders quarterly or once a year, twice a year, You know, it depends on the case. And they often don't hear back of, well, how was that used? What are the long-term trends? How are we doing? how are we doing relative to other funded organizations? And so it's just a vacuum where they report the data and then they don't hear anything. And so I think the feedback loop is critical for providing a mirror to organizations so that they can do some self-reflection and see how they're doing. Because often organizations are really focused on the day-to-day operations and just getting their work done, which they should do. And so, especially for small organizations who don't have the capacity to track things long term, I think that the feedback loop is essential. Um, but again, the technology is an important piece of it. And so uh, you know we recognize that technology can be really expensive for these organizations mm-hmm. to develop and then maintain and onboard staff and continue that um, to make sure that their data systems are appropriate for the work that they're doing but as we talk about in the article it's also very political and it's dependent on the culture of the organization yeah. so that's the lens through which we view this case study is the the political cultural side of what it means to be data-driven so that mm-hmm. didn't really answer your question <laughs> but <laughs> i think that that's an important but, part of the conversation
0: yeah and angie i i uh, thank you for exp- or putting it that way. And I, I think it's important for Angie and I to also maybe uh, like full disclosure, we come from a discipline of, that's um, a potentially different than, than yours, Jimmy, about mm-hmm. we have this perspective of public administration and we often focus on that macro level, that organizational level um, to our analyses, right? But that it's what was... I think where our disciplines sort of start to intersect is this idea of the communication that happens. And so, you know, if we want to think about it from a technology perspective, it's all the low tech tools that we need to support and sustain communication and, and interaction. And how do we make sure that when I put, if I'm a leader, if I put a message out there that it's received in the same way that I intended, you know, intent versus impact, um, and having everybody have a seat at the table to engage in those conversations, and so there are tools that we can use to promote communication. But I feel like to make a specific recommendation would be, you know, uh, misguided because really the point is to know what's going to fit for your organization. And I don't. I think a lot of organizations do spend a lot of money and a lot of time building the right tech tool, thinking that it's going to like fix everything if we just collect better data. And it's like, well, you. It's it's almost like asking. You know, what does the airplane look like if you want to take a trip, but you haven't thought anything about the runway or yeah. the air control tower that you need? You really need all of that, all of the pieces that go to it. You know, you can have the best, shiniest, newest airplane, but if it doesn't have all those other pieces, it's not going to take off. So um, it, it's no surprise that this is such a community. The communication aspect of all this is so important to us in our work.
1: Yeah, and I I totally want to get into that a little bit deeper cuz I, and I really appreciate that analogy. I think that's a really great analogy. It makes me think, you know, I actually I have a master's degree in public administration as well as a master's in social work. And it was really I think kind of the public administration like the the discipline, the education that I got there that took me to the macro side of social work because I was trained as a mental health practitioner and I remember the nonprofit agency that I worked in before going back to do my PhD, uh, they had adopted a database uh, software management system for progress notes and some other tracking metrics. And I just remember them rolling it out. And so as I was reading through your article, thinking about the communication, the feedback loops and all these things, it was just like clicking for me. Right. And but I remember when they rolled it out and the, the, the executive director was almost like trying to be a salesperson, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And there were some clinicians that were just shaking their heads. Like, I don't see how it's going to help me with my clients. And, you know, so there was definitely this piece about like communicating and even just kind of the organizational culture of we need to be able to track some of this data. And this is one of the ways we're going to do it. But um, I, I agree with you in the sense that I don't think, A single specific technology and even you guys mentioned this later on in the paper that a single specific technology is going to solve an organization's problems when it comes to being data driven along with a a whole bunch of other problems. So you built on Scott's institutional theory and discussing the pillars of Scott's framework, which, you know, listeners can go and, and read the paper to find a little bit more about that. Uh, But this really helps form support for an organization creates this idea of institutionalization. So I was wondering, I I don't know, maybe like the reader's digest version or the two second version of this theory, the pillars describing what they are and specifically then your addition of communication or the communicative pillar.
0: Sure. Angie, do you mind if I go first? Great. So let's go back to this analogy of the airplane. Um, When you take a trip, Um, You usually have a pretty regular set of experiences. You go to the airport, check in, you go through security, you get on the plane, you hang out for a little while, and then you arrive at your destination. Um, So Angie and I both have kids. And if we were to go on a trip with our kids, um, you can imagine them saying like, well, what happens to the bags? And who drives the airplane? And how do they know what to do with the airplane? And Mm -hmm. on and on and on with all these questions. And it's precisely because we as adults have become, we have an institutionalized knowledge about what the airport, what trips look like and what happens, whereas our kids need to learn all of that information. So that's essentially like a very summarized, uh, simplified version of what what it means to have an institutional knowledge about something. Um, So the same is true at nonprofits with their organizational values. So what they do and why, and why it makes sense to them that's the process of institutionalization. Um, So what it's almost, it's also related to this idea of what do people take for granted at their organization? So when it comes to being data driven, sometimes that value is deeply ingrained in the organization and and they just naturally have this system and process and leadership and an organizational culture that really makes that happen all the time. Um, And if you know that because if people outside the organization just sort of describe that as a, that that's how that happens, um, they probably couldn't point to any one thing, but it's spread across the whole organization. Um, and, and so that's what, for me, that's what this framework sort of tells us. Um, and so Scott's framework is one way for explaining the phenomenon. He says that there's three pillars to insti- um, institutionalization. Uh, there's a regula- regulative pillar Which is about surveillance and sort of the external factors that support institutionalization, the normative pillar, which is about processes, the internal things that happen to support institutionalization from a policy perspective. And then then the cultural cognitive pillar, which is about the beliefs that's inside the organization. Um, Those are sort of all the soft things that are happening in the organization. And then we have proposed in our article a fourth one about communication and why there's um, a reason that there's an important reason for organizations broadly defined to be using and be aware of what knowledge, what data, soft or hard data that they're using to make their decisions. And so we, we think that altogether those four areas um, are what happens. It's sort of the, the recipe at, at different organizations for how um, they arrive at being data-driven or not.
2: As Stephanie explained, the taken for grantedness or the shared understanding is in the cultural cognitive pillar. And so we thought that you still needed a communicative pillar because even though Scott Scott's framework has great application today. Um, he he wrote it in the 1980s and organizations are much more diverse and so you can't assume you couldn't assume in the 1980s and you can't assume today that everyone within an organization has uh, the shared understanding that you need to make this work progress and so the communicative pillar was our addition to try to encourage organizations to grapple with these topics because I think in that process of grappling with the definition of what it means to be data driven is where you can move uh, to the taken for grantedness because it just is part of the work that you do. Um, the other thing that I think is important when we think about organizations that are becoming uh, increasingly more diverse both in their uh, workforce but then also the communities that they serve. Um, we. Cite in this article the um, work done by Robovsky, and he looked at a similar topic in the context of higher education and he cautioned uh, That whenever you're talking about performance data that's so called uh, value neutral you have to take a hard look at it because of the the power balance that exists when you're defining Uh, performance metrics. And so I think also organizations often, as you gave your example of the executive director that was selling it really hard to the the staff to say, this is gonna be great. This is gonna be (laughs) perfect. This is gonna solve all your problems. I think organizations have to talk with their employees about what they're actually going to be tracking, not only because it makes sense from an organizational standpoint, but the buy-in that you get through that process is important for ensuring that the work is going to be sustained.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's so important. And to kind of, maybe this goes along partly with what we're talking about. I found the quote from your paper that I was, I've been thinking about in the context of this conversation. So is it all right if I just read this real fast? So you had this sentence in your article that said, uh, Another pitfall related to software design in nonprofit organizations is the quest for the magic specialized software that will solve their evaluation problems. And so as a program evaluator, I've worked on a program evaluation with a nonprofit in Virginia for over 10 years now. Um, it's been interesting to talk with, you know, agencies, organizations, et cetera, about technology and software and, feeling like maybe this is gonna be the savior. You know. I wrote my dissertation about that in social media with nonprofit organizations, feeling like it's gonna help sustain their organizations for whatever kind of economic or whatever turbulence might come their way. But I don't think that's necessarily happened. So I was wondering in what way technology can help an organization or even data can help the organization with some of these challenges related to evaluation.
2: I think that data within organizations can help help staff internally build trust. Because if they can trust the quality of the data that they're using to inform their decisions or alter their behavior, it builds trust for the work that they're doing. Um, if they constantly have to go and check and see if the data is correct or if it's up to date or if they can't access it, um, as we talk about in the case study, it produces a lot of problems for the organization. And then the staff have to find workaround ways of getting their work done. And so ultimately, that the lack of data or the lack of access to data does the opposite. It um, destroys their trust in the systems that they have. So I think that in terms of building trust, um, you have to make sure that the data that you have access to is... Uh, timely and available to the staff.
0: I agree with Angie that this idea of building trust through data, um, and it's not just like that I, I agree with Angie's point about like that they can trust the, that the data is valid and and we can use it for the specific intended purpose we set out to have, but also that like when you Maintain communication channels and everyone has equal access to the communication channel um, internal to the organization. And if you've got external partners that are part of the data collection process, too, right? If everyone's got an equal part of that communication channel, then we have relationships that we're building um, that can hopefully have you know, we can equalize some of the power imbalance and we can have buy-in into the process so that it's not a huge sales pitch down the line that it's like, well, we are adopting this. And so everyone's going to get on board, you know, like, mm-hmm. whereas if everybody knew what was coming and why we're having this conversation and what are the possible tools and, you know, that leaders legitimately heard if there were concerns or questions or how, why are we spending so much money on, you know, that all of those things were addressed on the front. And I think is a really important point that there's like, the the quote that she said about the, this magic specialized software that just doesn't exist i you know that organizations that have that are effective in being data driven have really invested in several different areas of their organization not just in like one you know database software tool or one you know um customer management system right that it's it's all these different pieces that have to work together at the same time and so i think I would really encourage organizations to think about, like, the low-tech tools that they need, right? So, like, what does your orientation look like when people step into office on day one? Like, are they given a sense that these are the things that we value here? And then at every meeting, is it coming up? And are in your policies and in your memo, like, all the different ways that our organizations act? You know, if you imagine an organization as a person, like, does their body language indicate that this stuff's important? And if it doesn't, then, you know, you... you're, you're investing in something that's not going to fix anything. It might contribute to more problems down the road. And I think that gets back to this point about trust. It's like people, especially when you've been in an organization for a while, you've probably seen the rollout of one or two or three new data-based systems. And you know, it just creates more headache because you got to learn the new system and it takes time to input the data and it never leads to anything of importance. And so, so definitely I would say, think about these low tech tools, but also think about, you know, quality over quantity. I, you know, so many organizations, especially if you get like the database programmer in the room, they want to think about like all the possible data points, which is what a scientist does, right? They're like, I I'm want I'm the biggest net possible of all this data and that's helpful. But if it's not quality or it can't be sustained or, Whatever, or it puts a huge burden on your frontline staff, or your customers when they come in, or your your clients when they come in to fill up paperwork. It's ten pages of of intake forms. That's not helping your your mission. Um, so those are some of my thoughts about that
1: quote. And I I think that's so important though that the idea that you bring up about low tech solutions or even no tech solutions, right? So as you pointed out. Um, one of the things that i've often told my students that is easy to think about if they're going to evaluate a program or look at an agency one of the basic assignments that we often have in social work macro practice is like an agency analysis right just look for a problem propose some kind of a way to change it or transform it whatever and uh one of the easiest things or one of the ones that has recurred in my assignments with students over the years is like employee burnout or retention and Uh, I always kind of go back to this idea of like an easy thing that organizations can do is in the job description, when they hire someone, be very clear about what their roles and responsibilities are like, that seems like a very low tech kind of way to communicate and create the type of organizational culture that maybe you think you want to have. I don't know if that makes sense, but.
0: I think it makes total sense. When I, my, my, first job out of college was in AmeriCorps, but my second job was in, um, you know, being a a social worker for youth in foster care. And I remember um, we had an intern one summer and she said to me, you know, I I can't wait to be a social worker because I just love working with people. And I was like, you know, 90% of my job is paperwork. Like legitimately 90% is filling out forms, scheduling appointments, going to court. Like it's all paperwork. And 10% of my job is like seeing my, my kid face-to-face, the different kids that I was working with. And I, I think you're absolutely right about what the expectations are on the front end. And then at all the different points that we have, when we interact with employees, if you're a a supervisor, right. Um, Or a leader in an organization, what you interact with your staff all the time, right. in meetings and your emails. And when you set agendas for what your team should be working on, those are all different points about setting expectations and managing expectations Um, And that gets back to this communication pipeline that Angie and I, our work is talking about around, do people have the opportunity to give you feedback when they're like shocked all of a sudden that 90% of their job is paperwork? It's like, well, let's talk about what that looks like and why that paperwork is so important and what the impact is for an organization. Help me value my work and see the value of my contributions.
2: So again, what Stephanie's talking about is an internal Interpersonal feedback loop to the employees to make sure that they know the value of the data that they're putting in. Um, So not only is the feedback loop necessary for organizations who are reporting data to their funders but internally within organizations, I think that leaders have to make sure that their program staff know the value of the data that they're inputting, especially if it's 90% of their time and it may be taking them away from time face to face time with their clients.
0: Oh, Angie, I think that's a really good point about, you know, when in this case study that we did, you know, we had a um, centralized organization that passed money through to other organizations. And so they didn't provide any direct services. The other organizations they worked with did. And so the other organizations had the burden of collecting the data for the org, like the the overall network to be, to demonstrate success or not. And we heard story after story about how, you know, the organization that's providing the frontline had to have frontline services had to have really clear like sign-in sheets and how difficult it was to collect those sign-in sheets because people wouldn't fill them out correctly yeah. or whatever the case may be. And it's it's because that just wasn't a priority because it probably wasn't communicated on the front and the expectations were not set. So then what happens is on the back end, you get frustration. It's like, well, what, why do you need all these pages? What, what, you know, we were just trying to give the the food to the kids that we were serving, not think about like, could we read all of their names clearly? You know, um, So it's just a mismatch in what the expectations are and then what's being delivered. So really being intentional about that on the front end can help with the data-driven effort.
1: And I feel like that that communication and being intentional can even just help on the back end, right? Whether it's an evaluation of some sort or just seeing that overall kind of program impact is gonna be important to think about that in the beginning right so i want to pick on the the term institutionalization we've already kind of mentioned it or y'all have said it a couple of times already and you bring up i have to honestly say this is one of the best definitions i've ever seen and i'm like why have i not had this sooner this definite definition of institutionalization as being uh one that's developed by sales Nick and expanded on by scott So they define institutionalization as an adaptive process whereby to institutionalize is to infuse with value beyond the technical requirements of the task at hand. I don't know why, but there's the inner nerd inside me was like, that's it, That's, that's, that's what people need to understand when like we say, oh, we need to institutionalize this process, we need to institutionalize that or close the feedback or whatever. Uh, I've been like, I understand what they're talking about, but I've never really seen as good a definition as that. So, one, I appreciate you guys including that in there. But again, how then could we have this idea of being data-driven organization help with that process of institutionalization?
2: I think that institutionalization as a concept hasn't caught on because it isn't i don't think that the word accurately describes the concept i think there needs to be something that's more exciting um, that gets people to understand that it just becomes second nature then it just becomes part of uh whatever you're talking about um but i also when i'm thinking of selznick's definition um so thank you selznick and scott i also think of shine's work on organizational learning and how that's an adaptive process and how if you have an organization that is truly in that phase, um, that they're constantly adapting to whatever the context is and whatever the external environment is. And so I think that that is um, part of it as well. And so again, it's all about informing behaviors. We, We talk about organizations as being data driven, but ultimately, it's the people at the organizations that are doing things. It's the human beings that are Mm -hmm. running the organization. And so any way that we can uh, influence their behavior that they're doing within their organization and the behavior is influenced by the data that they're receiving, I think that that's all part of the adaptive process.
0: Right, 100% what Angie said. and, and for me, this quote really gets at this idea of is being like data-driven, if we're talking about that particular aspect of it, is that a task or is it a value, right? Um, so by that, I mean, is it our, is this something prescriptive or is this something descriptive about our organization? So a prescriptive action is like, it's on my to-do list to be data-driven, right? Whereas... <laughs> Descriptive means an outside organization looking in, or a supervisor looking at my actions, would just see that and be able to describe what I'm doing to achieve that value. And so, for me, it's really about—that's what institutionalization is—is is it's it's make it's descriptive, it's becoming a value, something that is just a natural part of the fabric of your actions and the actions of the organization, um, and. Yeah, I I think that that's a really important distinction because a lot of organizations go about it and impose it as a as a as a task, right? Something that we have to we have to collect data, we have to look at the data, but it's not, it doesn't. As Angie said said much earlier about the black box, right? So if you have a partner organization, you give them the data, that's the end of the transaction with the data. There's no um, demonstration that there's inherent value, that that organization really values it and, and has and is using it. What are they doing with it? So it's really important to, you know, yeah. How how do you infuse the value of something to move it beyond, what do they say, the, the technical requirements of the task at hand, right? How do we move beyond that? We make it something that's just naturally a part of everything that we do.
1: Yeah, so then it's basically infused as a part of the structure and the operations of the organization, right?
0: Right, right. I mean, Angie said that organizations are about the individual actors, but really, when we think about institutionalizing something, and I agree that word has not caught on because it's sort of, I don't know, it's a complicated term. We use it for a lot of different things, but when it becomes infused in all the different parts of the organizational culture, so not that's what it means to be descriptive. It's everywhere. You know, you couldn't look at any one thing that we do. We don't have. It's not just the database. It's not just the meetings. It's not just Um, The orientation, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's in the water, it's in the air, you know, it's just something that we're doing. And that sounds really um, ambiguous, because it is, you know, it's, it's both concrete, like you can say, well, you need a database, and you need meetings, and you need to do these things, you can talk about the steps, but it also has to just become bigger than that.
2: I think that's such a good point, too, because Ben, who has written a lot about performance management, um, says that data is ambiguous and ubiquitous. And I think even in the course of our conversation today, we've talked about data as a task, as a value, as a process, as a label. And so I think in terms of how organizations aspire to be data driven i think everyone all these funders are requiring it so like oh yeah we want to be that but really are you talking about it as an organizational value are you talking about it as a label are you just adopting it because your funder is requiring it and then it's more of a coercive relationship with that data and so it's a really a tricky term to use for organizations.
1: So do you feel like maybe data driven or being a data driven organization, that phrase, is it becoming like buzzworthy now? Is that like the the hot topic, hot thing to say we're a data driven organization?
2: I think it's jump to the shark. <laughs> I think that I think that I roll my eyes when I hear we're data driven or we're evidence based. Whenever anyone says that, I just kind of cross my arms and I think, well, what do you even mean by that i think that's you know i'm just kind of over it i need something else i need something that's more meaningful than just organizations saying that we're data driven because if you were to go to that organization's uh you know employees and say you know what does that mean you would get 20 different answers so no. i'm i'm personally over the term but <laughs> i'll just speak for myself there i won't speak for stephanie
0: no i agree i i mean that's exactly what we found right that they said well yeah we know that this is something we're trying to do but oh you know we did in our research we did interviews and then we did focus groups and the focus groups were super interesting because you're like oh i didn't know that that program was doing it that way oh that's a that's a that's a choice you know like and it's because that commu- those communication channels weren't open um and so yeah i i, I agree angie it's it's Data is um, ambiguous and ubiquitous. It's it's everywhere, and at the same time, it's so fuzzy. What that means, I would rather um, you know, maybe I'm tipping my hat to like my my personal philosophies, but I would rather somebody tell me a story about how they use some sort of concrete knowledge to make a change, and then they saw an outcome from that change. That that to me would say, in not so many words, I'm data driven. But they don't have to say I'm doing this because I'm data driven, right? They can just say, we were looking at how this. One area was operating and we we were hearing stories of how that wasn't successful. So we looked at the data and we, you know, tell me the story about what you're doing. And that can also have um, an impact of it's descriptive, right? And getting back to descriptive versus yeah. prescriptive, right?
1: No. And I think that's the thing that is important to remember. And y'all kind of hit upon it within the, the paper that... Telling the story can be powerful, and that's one of the things I've shared with my students when we talk about data management and just using data in decision-making or however you want to use it in the organization, that we still have to remember that your data can tell a story. So whether you create an infographic or you use digital storytelling or some other creative technique, use the data in a way that will capture someone and help them feel to know what it understands, what that data uh, means or is trying to imply. Because I think that's really how you're going to be able to capture someone and bring them on either as a supporter, volunteer, funder, or whatever it might be that you want to to do with those individuals. But, you know, we often hear, or maybe it's just me, but big data, data-driven, all this conversation around data and how we use it. But uh, oftentimes we don't necessarily step back to think about As you all have already talked about relationships and communication, sometimes we just think it's like math, right? We just do the numbers and we get an answer.
2: (laughs) Which is so ridiculous because I think to my classes, we always talk about cost-benefit analysis. And in mm-hmm. any public administration textbook, there's always a big paragraph about how cost-benefit analysis is an important tool that was adopted from business programs. However, it is not appropriate for many public administration programs. And yeah, we continue to teach it. And so I think there's some application here that you know data is great to have and it's one piece of the puzzle, but it shouldn't be the driver of all decisions.
0: Right. And that's the point of data is not neutral and being data driven is not neutral. We can never, it is, we always have finite data. There's never, we never have all of it and we never know what's missing. It's just like one of those impossible mind bending things to wrap your head around. Right. And so if we can never truly know everything or know that if we have a survey that people responded to the questions the way we wanted them to, like that they interpreted those words the same way then we've really got problems with our data inherently. And so to, to be so, to use it as a crutch to make all of our decisions is is ineffective. And we, we see what has happened um, in the last 400 years in the United States when we rely on, you know, specific scientific points of, of knowledge, you know, that it's we, we're missing out on whole parts of the important conversations around equity and inclusion, whose voice is there, who has not been included, so this date, the data is always imperfect. And so we just have to acknowledge that, you know, and when our partners, when we demand data from others or when our partners share data, you know, get back to the story. What is the story that's there? I thought that was a really important point that you were making about what you're teaching your students, because I think that is the story is we know from research that stories resonate with humans in a way that data just can't, you know, you can put a spreadsheet up <laughs> and some people will be there with you and some people will... You know not be able to to catch on to your main point but if you tell a story almost everybody in the room knows where you're going with it and you can supplement that with data but we we have to be in tuned with the bigger picture Mm -hmm. um or the data makes no sense because it's always imperfect
1: yeah so i think it's mainly the accountants that are in the room that will love the spreadsheets
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm an academic i always want to see the numbers like i'm I'm, i don't want to be misinterpreted like i I always want to see more data than I have access to. I always want, I want to, when I'm reviewing stuff, I always want to see all the data, but um, but that's, that's just not always realistic in the real world. You know, nonprofits um, or federal state local agencies don't always have the time to run all of the numbers you have, you have to make strategic decisions about what data we're going to look at and why, and then move on. So that means we have to be in tune with that bigger picture of what's going on and have our priorities in line and be able to communicate that to our staff and have them participate in the communication. So it's, those are big tasks. So it would be it would be impossible to look at all the data in the, in the first place.
1: Which I think then also can kind of bring us back to that idea that some organizations kind of get fed like, oh, you need to be data driven. We have this database or, you know, this magic software that really doesn't exist, right? And then they right. some of them might buy into it and it just causes more problems, but yeah
0: I, I do want to expand on that point real quick though that you know it's we have the luxury of being in the ivory towers to a certain extent right like in the real world nonprofits have to if they want money a lot of them are going to be accountable for the data that they can produce and so there there's uh, in the you know it might be nice to have all these conversations about what data could look like and you mm-hmm. know like you don't need all the tech tools but at a, on a certain level if you're Grant people can't get the data into the fund, you're going to lose the grant, and then you have to fire staff, and then your community is not being served. So there's real, like there's real repercussions. And I'm not, you know, um, devoid of looking into what the, it looks like in the real world. I think those are real important conversations. But nonprofits have a real power to be advocates in this space, and funders in particular have the opportunity to to implement. What does data driven mean? And do I need all 100 data points or? Can my answers be solved with 15? Yeah. I, you know, we ha- they have real power to, to make changes to that. But I, I just want to be clear about the real world is, is complicated. It's not as simple as maybe I want it to be.
1: Uh, I, I know. And I totally agree. And especially in the real world where we see in with nonprofits, funding seems to get more and more scarce or there's a lot more competition for those resources out there. And so you have some organizations that are either just getting started or they only have three employees and they're like scrapping at the table for some of these resources. And so anything that they can do to help them uh, focus their efforts much better is gonna ultimately hopefully help them in the long run. Right, absolutely. We've hit upon a couple of different challenges and a couple of uh, positives for being data-driven and use it, utilizing tech, no tech, maybe some high-tech solutions. So just in the last couple of minutes that we have here, I want to end with what advice would you all give organizations that want to start this process of becoming more data-driven or even just some simple steps to start moving towards that area?
0: My advice would focus on, I think, two two things. Yes. The first would be to like do a inventory of, of, from, if you I'm assuming if you're in leadership, you know, take a couple minutes to write down, what do you think your organizational values are? Maybe you have an, a formal document, but just on your own, what appears to be these like values that your organization has, and then find a couple other people and just like ask them to give you one minute of their time and tell you what they think their organization values are. And if, mm-hmm. if those are matching, <laughs> then that's great. And if they're not matching, I think you've got some work to do to say what's going on with our organizational culture, and then if we have a specific goal about being data driven, if the the values that are related to being data driven, you know, um, decision making values, values about um, collaborating with our team and, and using evidence to make our decisions, if those values aren't on your list, then you've really got some work to do about how do we make this a value in our organization. And so if it's missing, which I think it is in a lot of organizations rather than thinking about like your technical tools, which is you know, the easier place sometimes to start because it's like it's like a clear issue. You have the database or you don't, right? But really, where you need to look is your team and um, communicating with your team and starting the process to say this is this is our goal and why is this our goal? and how do we make this a value? what what is what are their opinions? And then like my second recommendation would be to say to focus on, quality over quantity. Don't start out collecting all the data that you possibly can. One, it's just an almost impossible and a nightmare for everybody to start to implement that. And it's very expensive, but you know, you don't need a very fancy database, you know, um, a database fu- at its very fundamental level. And I don't want to offend any database programmers, but like, it's, it's really just like a spreadsheet that gets very complicated, the more data points you have, but you know you can start with a spreadsheet for collecting data about your programs if you're a small shop one or two people what you're doing you can track you can create some data fields in a spreadsheet and start tracking what you're doing so you don't have to have the fancy things but you do need to have quality data that you can prove unequivocally is is good data so those would be my points of advice
2: i think to build off of what stephanie was saying i think even if you are going to start with a very basic database to again build in that feedback loop and if you find that you aren't using the data then that's telling you something that either your team wasn't ready for it or you didn't have enough training or you're not collecting the right metrics Um, and so you have to kind of retool what you're tracking and how you're tracking it Um, but most importantly you have to consider how you're using it and so if it is only to appease funders I think it's worth having a conversation with those funders to share that, uh, you know, what an administrative burden it is to participate in that funding structure. Again, that's a, I'm saying that, as Stephanie said, from a very privileged position because I'm not in those shoes. So that would be a challenge. Um, but I guess for organizations that are looking to move toward being, data-driven, I would ask them why, you know, what their motivation is behind that, Um, but I would also caution them that it is a process. It's not just a label that you can say that you are data-driven. It's a process for operating, and it's a process for um, informing your behavior. It's not just something that you are, and I think, you know, we've touched on that several times. That it's it's more of a, a way of doing things.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much more. I think we could go into talk about, but I don't want to keep you any longer than is necessary. So, this sounds like a good place we can stop. I want to thank you again, both, for being on the heceta podcast today. Thank you. thank you. If you want to find out more about data-driven organizational culture, you can reach out to Dr. Angela Klein on Twitter at. AD Klein 1. A D K L I N E 1. And also Dr. Stephanie Dolamore on Twitter at S Dolamore. At S D O L A M O R E. Or you can access their article in the Journal of Technology and Human Services. It's titled Understanding Data Driven Organizational Culture A Case Study of Family League of Baltimore. The Hucita podcast is a production of the Human Services Information Technology Association. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast, please connect with us on our website at www.hucita.org, on Twitter at @hucitaorg, or on Facebook at facebook.com/hucitaorg. Be sure to rate the podcast and share it with your networks to help us create a world where information technology is used to promote the social good and human well-being. My name is Jimmy Young. You can also connect with me on Twitter at JimmySW. Thanks for listening to the podcast.